Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Griefsters. Hope you're having an okay day. Welcome to Season 10 of the Griefcast. Season 10! 10 guys it's mind-blowing to me um for those of you know i started this podcast six years ago i put out four episodes i thought that would probably do it that's probably all the amount of people who want to talk about grief and death and here we are six years later 10 seasons down nearly 200 episodes still talking about grief and death just proving that there are so many of us that want to have this conversation that aren't afraid to have this conversation and that desperately need this space and conversation so i want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart to every griefster that has listened that maybe stop listening for a bit and then come back welcome and i know i'm i'm just here for whenever you need me thank you so much for all your support and encouragement and love so far it is it is so 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 appreciated in other news most of you know this but i have written a book it's out in january january the 19th 2023 it's called you are not alone and it's everything i've learned from the podcast so these past six years all the guests i've talked to it's quotes from them thoughts from me everything that i wish i had known about grief at 15 you can pre-order it now um I don't know if you know this as well, but pre-orders matter hugely to authors. They count as the first week of sales. So if this show has ever helped you in any way at all and you want to say thank you, I would be so grateful if you could do a pre-order. That makes a huge, huge difference. You can pre-order from all the usual places, all the independent places and all the other places, wherever you want to pre-order. But if you can pre-order, it really makes such a massive difference. And honestly, thank you for coming on this journey with me, continuing to talk about grief and death, refusing to stop that conversation when other people feel awkward. We are here, we want to talk about it, and as ever, you are not alone. 
This week, I'm talking to the fantastic stand-up Angela Barnes. Uh, you will know Angela. She's been on Live at Apollo, Mock the Week. She's hosted the News Quiz. She's an incredible stand-up. She was the winner of the BBC New Comedy Award in 2011. She is such a wonderful, warm and funny person. I was really glad I finally got to talk to her because I know she's done lots of shows about her experience of grief and so we were very excited to talk to each other finally as two people who like talking about their dad dads in public. We do talk about her father as I said there um, who passed away very suddenly from a heart attack and we also talk about one of her very best friends an amazing stand-up called Phil Gerrard who passed away last year as well. So Angela who are we remembering today? So today, two people. One is my dad, mm-hmm. and the other is my friend and brilliant comedian Phil Gerrard. Phil Gerrard. And what was your dad's yeah. name as well? My dad was Derek. Derek Barnes. That's such Derek a dad Barnes. name, isn't it? I love it. It's solid, Derek. isn't it? <laughs> it's a it's solid really, dad name. Yeah, really solid. Derek Barnes. Like you're like, yeah, he could put up a shelf. That's what I feel. Yeah. Ironically, he couldn't. He couldn't. Oh, <laughs> oh I no. I would have thought he could have done. So, do you want to start with your dad or Phil? Who would you like to talk about? Well, should we start with my dad? I think yeah, is sure. yeah, it's probably the person I've because I've done. My dad died in two thousand and eight, so I right. was thirty one when he died. So it was what fourteen years ago. Wow. And so you sort of. Talking about my dad now feels so. I've done it so much that yeah, it feels yeah, yeah. really easy almost to talk about that, you know, because that's so interesting. Because I, I have a book coming out about grief, and I wrote about that. That because I've talked about him so much, it's it's sort of like healed a bit of it because it's like, oh, I've done all my talking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I haven't yeah. stopped talking about my dad yeah, since yeah, yeah. he died, you know, and and I think it's funny when my dad died, so I was. 31 which isn't particularly young but it was still out of all my friends my close friends I was the first to lose a parent yeah yeah and so it's funny because no one really knew how to deal with me when it happened Mm. and I I the feeling I remember most is that people were so worried about saying the wrong thing that they ended up saying nothing yes and I just thought people didn't really care yeah you know because no one would call you or text you or those things and so now because I've talked so much about my dad now when as soon as I hear that someone's lost a parent if it's someone I know reasonably well I'll send them a text message or something because I know that no no text message is going to make it worse for them I know I know we say all the time on the show that people who think I don't upset them Oh, what do you think was most upsetting you or the death of their parent like they are right? upset nothing you do is going to make this like more upset they are just upset uh, so exactly if they seem upset when you text them that's because they were already upset <laughs> like, you haven't done that yeah. and also if they don't want to engage with you they won't you know yeah. they won't reply to the text they won't pick up the phone but it might just be that you're phoning them at the time that then they go oh good I need to talk to, I just want to talk about something else or I want to yeah. talk about this or you know and so um I think by talking about it a lot I amongst my friends I'm like the sort of dead dad sage you know mm-hmm. oh yeah she knows how to cope with this this is yeah I can relate can. to that strongly and <laughs> yeah I bet you can I yeah like can. okay who's died come on let's go what's happening yeah. like <laughs> yeah. I'm here and also because you said like me you joined the club young so then as your friends get older they then you know naturally people do join the club as well and they come to you and go oh my god this is awful and you're like yes yes it is yes welcome I know I know yeah exactly (laughs) sit down let's talk about it yeah Um, yeah. you know and that telling people in the moment it's so hard I never say to someone 
it gets easier because mm. in that moment you can't hear that and you can't believe no. that. You know, you're like, how is this ever going to get easier? But you and I know that it, it doesn't go away. And it's a, I just say that that death of a parent, I think, divides your life in two. There's yeah. before and after, you know, and that's always the case. And in, when I think about my life, when I think about things that have happened in my life, they either happen before or after. Yeah. That sort of moment, you know. And, and what gets easier is that you're not in a state of grief constantly anymore but I still can be driving my car and a song will come on the radio or I'll just have a thought and I'll just burst into tears so that's 14 years later you know yeah it can creep up on you but it's not a constant state of grief that does go away yeah and it's hard I you know obviously we talk about that on the show and it's hard Mm. to sometimes get that across to someone at the beginning of the journey because they're like Mm. I'll never feel happy and you're like you will you will you'll be okay you'll be fine but you will still have this grief it won't disappear like you said and I'm 20 plus years and it's still there's still things that suddenly like out of nowhere you're just like oh ow (laughs) yeah and you think oh my god didn't think that would get me today how strange so you you never and again we've said on the show so many times like you never stop grieving them it gets easier to carry it but they never stop being your parent you know they absolutely that doesn't someone doesn't hand you a new one and go don't worry forget about that one yeah that that one's gone now it didn't exist yeah Yeah. exactly that person's always and for example i got married last year Mm. and i really felt it that day yeah you know obviously you do because you know, he would, although, as I said in my own wedding speech, I think we all dodged a bullet that my dad didn't do a speech. <laughs> um, but, you know, just walking up the aisle, you know, I walked up the aisle with my mum and I made it very clear to my mum that had my dad been alive, I would have had both of them, you know. I wouldn't yeah. have had... I don't think the whole giving away thing is quite what I would have gone for. But, I, you know, it would have been nice to have them both walk me up the aisle. But what we did do is my mum walked me up the aisle, but the song I walked up the aisle to was one of my dad's favourite songs. Aww. So it felt like he was you know with me but I you know it despite it being 13 years later it was then I still really felt it that day because you know on your wedding day you expect your dad will be there but um it's hard yeah it's it's stuff like that isn't sometimes sometimes it's small things like just Mm. a song coming on in bloody you know not top shop it doesn't exist anymore it's dead (laughs) um sometimes it's just a song coming on the radio or it gets you but sometimes it is like the big things like you know I've got two kids and when I had kids yeah. it really hit me and definitely the I wedding bet. day even though I sort of I'd had a long time to know he wasn't going to be there I still thought oh yeah wow okay and my brother walked me like I mean it wasn't quite an aisle we just walked into a room <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but I yeah I sort of thought like oh that's a nice yeah way of you have to make your it's just having to make that choice isn't it like oh I'm someone who has to think because the person I need is not here so I'm going to have to have that conversation and yeah it's the big stuff that can get you absolutely I had it's quite a funny story actually because my wedding day and because what you have to know about my my dad was everyone called him a character he was a larger than life character he had the darkest sense of humor and he was an atheist. He didn't believe in, you know, life after death and all of that stuff. He was a very committed atheist. Mm-hmm. And and he um, his attitude to life was, you can't take it with you. Do the things you want to do. You know, that was it. And sometimes to the detriment of other people, <laughs> I'd say, um, he was, a, you know, he just loved life. And like I say, had a slightly sick sense of humour. So he would have found this really funny. But I, when I was getting ready for my wedding, or sort of, you know, do, doing all the preparations and stuff, I've... I've 
sort of I, I came across it planning a wedding does make you go mad yes, a bit yes, right yeah, and, yeah. and you suddenly are like oh I need this I need that and uh, none of it you need but okay yeah. and I saw this advert on Etsy for these little oh god these little like charms that you could put in your bouquet right oh yeah yeah and you could get like a photo of, of your dad or whoever and put oh, it in your bouquet nice. and I thought oh, that's quite a nice thing to do yeah. but I was looking at them and they were all just really blingy and I, and I was like oh that's not me or my dad they were and I found one in the end that they, and it was this woman made them and she also made really blingy ones, but she made this one. It was just like a, it almost looked like a coin with this right. picture in, right? I thought that's fine. That can just slip in there. No one will even see it. I'll know it's there. Lovely. And they had some that had sort of really trite little sayings, yeah. like you'll walk with me forever or whatever. Yeah, you know, I didn't yeah. want that. Anyway, I ordered it, but I left it really late. So it arrived, it arrived sort of a couple of days before the wedding and I opened the package and as I was opening it, it was all like, blingy and ribbons and I was like this isn't what I ordered and I pulled it out and it had three discs on it and it had one of these trite sayings something like I'll walk with you forever or whatever then these two pictures of these two men neither of whom were my dad oh no <laughs> and I just thought it was hilarious I was just like oh that's really funny like I, but then I just thought some poor bride somewhere has got my dad, you know, she's obviously posted them out to the wrong people. And I just thought, well, lucky for oh, me, enough time no. had passed that I could just laugh at it. And I just thought, yeah. I hope this other bride hadn't just lost her dad, you yeah. know, or where that would be really raw and really upsetting to get some strange bloke. Some strange bloke. <laughs> it's not even <laughs> blingy and it doesn't say he'll walk with me forever. <laughs> it's just plain. It's just some bloke oh on a disc. Oh my God, that's so, so awkward. But I sort of, I posted about it on Facebook because it did, my dad would have found that hilarious. Yeah, like, yeah. I just got some random old blokes on a bit of street. Two old blokes as well. Who are they? Who are these two men? But what was really sweet, my friend Joe, he saw like the post on Facebook. So I was really laughing about it. And um, he lives down the road from me and he just said, oh, can you just email me the photo you were going to have on it? And I emailed it to him, thinking not much of it. And he came back and he made me one. And it was beautiful. Oh. Like, and, and he'd just done it in a little wooden frame and set it in resin, the picture, and just wow. dro and dropped it off to me on the night before the wedding. And that meant so much more than some random thing on Etsy, you know. It was beautiful, and like that, I'll keep forever this little thing that, and it just slotted in my bouquet, and it was there, and I knew it was there, and it was really sweet. But yeah, that's so it's much, so nice. Wasn't that a lovely thing to I do? I got a Thank bit goosebumpy. That's such a sweet, yeah. and that's one of those things where people go, oh, "What can I do?" And you go, "That you could do that." Like that is thinking. It does, even though it was thirteen years ago. It matters. He's not there. Like this person yeah. will be sad, and that needs acknowledging. And how can we help them? Not make a huge yeah. deal. Like, Andrew, are you okay? Like your dad yeah. is dead, and you're not. Like that doesn't help. But just to be like, oh hey, I did this thing for you, and now he's with you as you go up the aisle. Like that's it was, so it nice. It was so beautiful, and the fact he obviously saw that I tried to do it and failed, and he was like, hang on, I've got the skills. I can do this. <laughs> hang on, you uh, let, let can you send me those two photos of those two random old men. So I'd like. To <laughs> <laughs> put them in resin for you I've still got it somewhere because I said oh, to the woman God. do you want me to send them back she's like no I'll send out another one to this bride you know and so I've just got this I don't really know it feels wrong to throw it away I, I just keep it because it makes me laugh every time I sort of come across it yeah it's <laughs> very like... funny it's a very funny story and, and like years to come you'll be like what's that in the box oh it's my oh, fake, yeah. my fake dads that someone my sent me <laughs> my two dads <laughs> No, don't know them no oh, but they were dear. with me they were with me um oh. what did your dad die of what happened so my dad had a heart attack my my dad was um, a, a type one diabetic and he'd right. been diagnosed when he was i think about seven years old so his whole life yeah. he'd had um 
you know, injects himself with insulin every day. Mm. And when my dad was diagnosed in the 50s, treatment for diabetes, not as good as it is today. Yeah. And certainly management of it, not as good. Um, what happened with my dad is when he was younger, he really wanted to be a paramedic, right? That was the job my dad wanted to do. He worked, uh, he grew up very near Brands Hatch, the racing circuit. He was really into motor racing and stuff. And we, that's what we spent all our weekends doing. And he really wanted to be a medic at the racing circuit. Oh, that was wow. his dream. Yeah. And actually, I mean, he used to do St. John's Ambulance there. He did work at the medical centre at, at Brands Hatch, but he wanted to be a proper paramedic. And at that time, and it's changed now, but at that time, if you were type one diabetic, you couldn't train to be a paramedic. Oh. And when he found that out, it broke his heart. And he sort of then had this slightly fuck it attitude yeah, to life. He yeah. was just like, well, if I can't do what... I really want to do, I'm just going to do what I like. And I think he really, in that period of time, in his, I guess, his early 20s, before I was born, he had this sort of, um, he was so angry at his own condition, so angry at his diabetes. And I can remember him saying, you know, I rule that disease, it doesn't rule me, which is all very well and a good attitude to have, except it just meant that he didn't look after himself very well. Oh, yeah. At a crucial time. So my dad used to have hypos all the time, would, you know, was forever in and out of hospital. And it wasn't really till he got a bit older, till he was in his probably his 30s, maybe even 40s, that he had a couple of wake up calls and he's like, oh, I can't live like this because I'm going to. And so he had, I think he had his first heart attack. He was probably, he must have been late 30s, early 40s. Because at 47, now I'm, I'm about to turn 46. So I'm really aware of, being coming up to the age that my yeah. dad was when when he was 47 he had a quadruple heart bypass wow. and the problem was so he had smoked when he was younger as well because everyone did and like I say he yeah. was had this attitude to his condition you know um but he'd given up smoking by then but the damage was already done and when you have diabetes that you're not looking after what can happen is the blood sugar sort of crystallizes in and it hardens in your arteries so that's mm. why people with diabetes are prone to heart failure and the damage had really already been done. And my dad, I can remember when I was young, my dad always had this thing. He said, I'll drop dead at 60. Because his dad was also type 1 diabetic and had oh. dropped dead of a heart attack at 60. So that was why my dad had this attitude to life. He's like, I'm going to drop dead at 60, so I better enjoy myself. You know, wow. that was his whole attitude. And do you know what? That's exactly what happened. He wow. was 60. It was He turned 60 in the September and he died in the July. Uh, the following July, and he was on holiday. Well, he he had a motorhome, and him and his girlfriend had gone to, uh, they were going away to, I think, Stratford-upon-Avon in the motorhome. And um, she was a nurse, so he picked her up, she finished her shift at like eight o'clock at night or something, and he picked her up, and they drove halfway, uh, and they've just found a campsite near Slough, of all places. And by all accounts, that night, he was sort of life and soul, like he always was. They'd go to these yeah. campsites and they'd get the barbecue going and they'd chat to the other people in their caravans or whatever, you know, he was that sort of guy. And yeah, went to bed that night and had a heart attack in his sleep. And his girlfriend was um, an A&E sister. Wow. So it was really awful for her because she worked on him, you know. She she woke up in the night and realised something oh, God. was amiss and then realised he'd gone into cardiac arrest. So she, But obviously it was too late. And then I, so at the time I was living in Brighton, but working in London. And I, had, uh, it was a Thursday night and I'd gone for a couple of drinks after work with my friend. And um, when I tried to get the train back home to Brighton, all the trains had been cancelled. There was oh, some yeah. problem with it. So he was like, oh, I'll just kip on my sofa because you've got to work in London tomorrow anyway. So I said, oh yeah, I'll do that. I'll just kip on your sofa. So I was asleep on the sofa and my phone kept ringing. 
at four o'clock in the morning. Now, this is before smartphones, and I often used to get people bum dial me because my name begins with A. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when my phone rings at four in the morning with a number I don't recognise, I just, I'm like, oh, some idiots just sat on their phone or whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it rang quite a few times, and then, uh, like, it was sort of, you know, you're half asleep, half awake, and I just was like, in the end, I thought, okay, maybe someone is actually trying to get hold of me here. Yeah. And answered the phone, and it was my dad's girlfriend, and just obviously distraught. And I, I, I feel for her so much that she had to make that call. Yeah. To me, you know, I can't. I mean, she's a nurse, so I guess she had some some experience, yeah, but, but still... you don't, you know, it's different when it's someone that you know. And yeah. um, and so I sort of took this call, but it was four thirty in the morning. I'm in Peckham. And my dad's in a slough hospital they took him to. So somewhere I don't know at all. And I was like, I don't, I don't know where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed yeah. to do right now. You know, I'm just, I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck in this. So bless him, my friend Dave, who he also had a, a flatmate called Matt. And I went and just woke Dave up because, I mean, we're really good friends. So I just was like, my dad's dead. I don't know what to, yeah. you know. And I was just in a state. I don't really remember much about it. I think he just made me a cup of really sweet tea. Yeah. <laughs> I just put and sat down. And um, I was like, I think I need to go. I thought what I need to do is go home, pack a bag, and then go to wherever they need me to go. Because, you yeah. know, I'm just in my clothes from the night before. I was, So I, um, I just sort of got on the first train at whatever time that was. And it's funny because apparently later on that day, when his flatmate woke up, he was like, Oh, I had this really weird dream about a girl just sobbing. Oh, <laughs> and Dave no. was like, Oh yeah, no, that was a girl sobbing. That's yeah, what that, that was. That was real. That was real. <laughs> and you and you didn't wake up. You heard that cry and you didn't yeah. wake up. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. What does that say about you, man? <laughs> um so yeah, I got the train back. I just remember being in a daze and mm. sort of and such my a shock to get a phone call as well. Such like. a shock. And I phoned my mum, but my mum, bless her, at the time lived in Northern Ireland. So she couldn't, all she wanted to do was get to me. You know, she'd yeah. been living anywhere on, you know, where she could have just got in a car and drive to me. She would have done. But she was sort of, oh, I can't, I don't know what to do. So I just, I remember going back to my flat in Brighton and packing a bag. And then I think I went to, his girlfriend phoned and said she was, she lived in Kent. And so she's like, I'm going back to the house because I can't do anything here. I'm at the hospital. He's in the mortuary. Oh There's nothing God. more I can do here. Yeah. I'm just going to go home to be with people, you know. And so I just then went to her place and we just met there. But yeah, it was such a such a sudden thing. And I, you know, I think there's sort of pros and cons from losing someone suddenly and, and not. Um, yeah, because there's no great There's way. no great, there's no easy way to <laughs> no. do it. Because people go, you know, it's nice to be able to say your goodbyes and everything. But yeah, but also my dad, particularly the sort of character he was, I can't imagine how hard it would have been to have to watch him fade away. Yeah. You know, he went in exactly the way he was. It couldn't have been more perfect for my dad just to have had a great night on a campsite in his beloved motorhome that he loved, <laughs> you know, and just went to bed and didn't wake up. And that yeah. really... You know, what more can you ask for? And I know if you'd asked him how he'd want to go, that would have pretty much been it. Yeah. It was sad for us because we had a shock to deal with. But for him, you know, he would have not been good at fading away and Mm. being unwell. And it just wouldn't have been right for him, I don't think. There's pros and cons to both. (laughs) Yeah. But I do think, and I spoke to someone else who lost a dad to heart attack and they said the same thing of like, it's very hard, but in a way it's harder for everyone left because they yeah. don't know they they don't really know they were there then they're not there but everyone left yeah. is left with the shock and the trauma of getting a phone call and oh my god what just happened and yeah but yeah it's 
I mean, one thing I, I'm really grateful for is that my dad and I were really close. Mm. And I spoke to him, particularly at that time, funnily enough, um, I'd, been, I, I'd split up with someone the year before. At the same time, my dad and his wife had split up. And so we had really, he'd come to stay with me for a bit. And we were always close. But during that time, we were both really looking out for each other because we both yeah. just come out of relationships and were a bit sort of tender, you know. And so we'd really got into the habit of phoning each other every day. And that habit had continued, even though this was a little bit later. And I used to work, say I worked in London and lived in um, Brighton at the time. And I used to walk to the, to London Bridge Station every night. It's about a half hour walk. And I'd always, I'd just ring my dad on that walk. That was my Mm. little, little habit. I'd just give him a ring, see what he was doing. So I'd spoken to him that Uh. night. And I'd always, and you know, every day I'd speak to him and every day I'd end the call with, love you dad. Yeah. Speak to you tomorrow, you know? So I there was nothing unsaid. There was nothing I just think of those situations, you know, where yeah. people are like, Oh my god, I kept meaning to call him but I hadn't for weeks and because it's so easy to get into and I know I'm guilty of doing that with my mum and I'm you know, I make more of an effort after my dad died for sure. Mm. Because my mum lived in Ireland and we just weren't as close then. Yeah. And I didn't speak to my mum every day and I, and I remember b- being haunted by this. If that had been your mum, you would have felt so guilty. Yeah. And so bad that it really strengthened my relationship with my mum. I was like, no, I need to make more of an effort here because I'm lucky that I don't have those feelings about dad because I know that he knew I loved him and that I'd spoken to him every day. You know, it does make you sort of look at your other relationships and go, right, I I need to put the work in here because people aren't around forever. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the big life lesson you learn. As you said mm. early, sometimes the rest of your friends are like, oh, yeah, well, they'll, well, they'll be there forever. And you're like, oh, they, they won't. They won't yeah. be there forever. Yeah. And I've obviously spoken to so many people and one of the biggest things, and obviously it's not always possible, and if it hasn't happened to you, it doesn't mean your grief is more, you know, is worse or more painful. But if you have felt like you've said everything... <laughs> felt like they knew that you loved them and you knew they loved you that is like a sort of like a thread you can hold on to to kind of get you through that and especially the initial bit where you're like what just happened and I definitely had that I didn't have a great relationship with my dad at all we weren't close at all but I did know he loved me and I and I knew that you know (laughs) I might not have said it but I was also 15 like I knew he (laughs) he knew fundamentally I didn't you know like hate him I just found him quite annoying um which I think he found me quite annoying. So it was mutual. Um, and that's teenagers. That's you know, teenagers. You've known that as well. Yeah, that's a difficult yeah. time for any parental relationship. Yeah, definitely. But I, I think if you, it sounds really amazing that you had that with him, that you'd spoken to him that day. Like stuff like that can really I'm help. I'm so grateful. Yeah. So grateful. The only thing I have in my head is I did speak to him that day and I remember having had a bit of a shitty day at work and just being a bit of a bad mood. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't my usual sort. I was a bit like, oh, sharp that. You know, like I was a bit short with him maybe. And yeah. that I was like, oh, you're bit short with him yesterday when you spoke to him I wish you hadn't been but but I also know he knows that sometimes you're in a bad mood and sometimes you're a bit short with each other it doesn't mean you don't love him you know and the day before I would have spoken to him and been fine and said I love him so it's not you know that's just bad luck so I I I dwell on that quite a bit at first I thought oh the last time you spoke to him though you were in a bit of a bad mood so what that that doesn't if you love someone then your bad moods are just part of it right you don't hold that against anyone exactly that's the strength of your relationship that you're like oh yeah I was in a bad mood but that wouldn't affected who we were to each other because fund our foundation was so strong 
that we could yeah. be like, all right i'll speak to you tomorrow oh someone's tired exactly like, exactly and that exactly doesn't that. you know it's not a big doesn't deal. take away from that yeah. relationship and it's not there's this idea that the last thing you said to them is the most important and i don't mm. buy into that at all it's you know because the last thing you said to them might have been can you pick up some milk on the way home <laughs> do you know what i mean it doesn't yeah. that doesn't matter the most important thing is the most last meaningful thing you said to them and if that mm. was i love you then that's you and know, it doesn't just, matter if that was five years before. Yeah, the relationship you had that, like, uh, if you cut through all the bullshit, did they know that you loved them and did you know that they loved you? Yeah, well, that's what you're looking for. It doesn't matter the last thing you said was, I fucking hate you. Like, yeah, exactly. Did they, if they had, someone had stopped them in the street and said, did you believe that? And they would go, no, not really, we weren't around. Like, it's that, yeah. it's like the, the, like you said, you'd obviously had that year with each other and... And all mm. those all those phone calls, the short ones, the quick ones, the heartfelt ones, the brilliant ones, all of yeah. that added up to that great relationship. Like I think you said people focus on the end of the narrative because I think it's easy. It was actually, it's harder, like you said, to put the F, oh, I have to put the F in every day with this person. I can't just yeah. ring them and be like, I love you. If you hadn't spoken yeah. to you for two years, <laughs> I love you. Right. <laughs> they would have been like, oh, okay. It's that every day, the sort of boring everydayness of letting someone know how important they are. That's Exactly. And it's just, it does, I know some people find it hard to say I love you to a parent, you know, yeah. particularly my generation and older you know, the parental relationship was a bit different and a bit more, particularly with dads, I think sometimes, sons yeah. and fathers and all of that awkwardness that can be there. But it's through gesture, it's through what they do for you, through what they, you know. I mean, my dad was quite demonstrative. Um, a lot of dads aren't, you know. But if yeah. they, you know, rock up when they're needed, that's all that matters. If, you know, yeah. you needed a shelf put up and your dad was the first one there doing it, that's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's understanding you know. the different ways people say it, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. you sound like I'm projecting. I'm asking, but you sound like you've you've reached a good place with it. And I know, you, like you said, you've you've done all these shows. You've talked about it on radio. You talk about television. Like, do you mm. feel that, um, as we said at the beginning, like that process was that hard at first to talk about him, but then eventually got easier? Or it it was. I think I the main thing for me was so comedy for me I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if my dad hadn't died oh wow okay. and that's a weird thing to say but yeah. I, I was 31 when my dad died and my dad loved comedy absolutely loved it and we grew I grew up listening to radio comedy with my dad that was my in and then you know Monty Python all the things my dad loved I loved and then I went and found my own things that I loved that my dad hated which is great because I should have my own stuff as well but you know things like listening to the news quiz on Radio 4 and stuff like that was our thing and I used to, when, before he died, I was running, a, I used to book a, a, a comedy night in Brighton just because I loved stand-up. I wasn't doing stand-up. I had no intention of doing stand-up. It all came about, I used to do a bit of Amdram in this community theatre in South London and my then boyfriend loved stand-up and wanted to be a stand-up so we started running gigs and just so we could watch stand-up really. Yeah. And then when I, we split up and I moved to Brighton, I really missed that so I started doing it in a room above a pub here and my dad used to come every week to that show I put on it was called the funny farm and uh, I had a good eye because I used to have uh, Josh Widdicombe and James Acaster and Joel Domit with my regular MC wow. so I had a good eye back then yeah yeah and um, <laughs> 2008 and um and my dad used to come to the gigs and then it was only like three months later that my dad died after I started running that gig in Brighton and he'd always said to me like why don't you have a go and I was like don't be stupid I couldn't do what they do that's that's stupid and then when he died, I just had this real life is short moment. And yeah. it sounds so like 
corny, but it's what happened. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And I actually did, I went and did the Jill Edwards stand-up course because I knew so many comedians. I didn't want to get up and just be shit in front of them all, you know, without sort of testing the water first. So I went and did a course and I, I, like on the quiet, I started gigging locally in Brighton for a bit and I sort of didn't really tell anyone I was doing it. So that was, I, that was 2009. That was like a year after he died. I did the course. And then I started gigging in sort of 2010. And then sort of out of nowhere, really, in 2011, I won the New Comedy Award. And that I found so hard because yeah. my dad never saw any of this. You know, he never saw. And now I'm, I've, not only have I been on the news quiz, I hosted a series of the news quiz. And doing that without my dad knowing. Mm. And, and there's a little part of me that wants to go, he knows somewhere, but then, He's an atheist. Is, I'm like I'm I'm a humanist and atheist and I don't really believe in that yeah. stuff so it, there's a real conflict in my mind because I want to think that somewhere he somehow he knows but the rationalist inside me goes I mean he doesn't he never knew and and that's the thing that makes me so sad is because my dad worried about me a lot I mm. was a desperately unhappy person in my 20s mm. um you know uh, sort of what I now know is undiagnosed ADHD or misdiagnosed I was diagnosed with bipolar and I was sort of I had lots of problems in my 20s and so my dad worried about me a lot and what my future would hold and where I would go you know if I'd ever be happy and all of that and the truth is I know now comedy saved me right which again sounds corny but it's because it's the perfect job for somebody with ADHD because I'm getting that dopamine hit all the time I'm not having to go to the same place every day with the same people and you know it was my cure really without me knowing it it's certainly the only job I've done consistently for 10 plus years you know without going I want to do something else so um I feel sad that he didn't get to see that you know he didn't get to see not only am I doing a job that oh my god I mean he would have loved but also for him to see that I'm all right you know I'm happy I'm married I'm I'm doing a job I love uh, and you know the the story gets better I really wish he'd seen that because I know he used to worry about me a lot so that makes me sad yeah it's hot that's definitely I can hard relate to that because it's Mm. like just that's the thing you know like we obviously both talked about our dad so publicly and you can if someone says to you tell me how like oh this happened no problem I don't feel like sad telling you you died of cancer like I've got this down it's a routine I know what to say Mm. and then it is just like we said those those things that hit you and especially it's really interesting to me that you used to listen to news quiz because I always think I love radio comedy, my hard radio comedy nerd. And you can always tell when people who do radio shows don't listen to the radio. And now you said that, I'm like, of course, of course you like the news quiz. I can tell. (laughs) Like as soon as you get, because it's your world and you know it and like you know what works, you know the history of a show and you know what jokes have been made. So like it makes, yeah, you're very good at it is what I mean. I can tell, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But you, yeah, there is that thing of stuff they would have loved. And I had um, the one moment sort of, hit me was so me and my brother were obsessed with whose lines anyway that was like our obsession also loved comedy but I loved obviously whose lines anyway was just like couldn't believe and then you know years years later I guested with them in Edinburgh and I was like you know literally on stage with (laughs) who was there that night was like Greg Proops Jace Lawrence you know um, Clive was hosting and my brother just and it got you know it's a gig it's Edinburgh like everyone's doing amazing gigs it's not it's it's your job. It's not a huge deal. But my brother was one person who went, bloody hell, dad would have loved that. Like, and I thought, yeah, that's just these little things that's hard to sometimes, because people haven't been with you that whole narrative, but because your parents have obviously been there from the beginning when you're not good at these things. And yeah. <laughs> when you say you want to do them, they go, oh, okay. 
okay. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sure. Well, we can look into a club if you want to go. Why, why don't you also t- d- definitely take those GCSEs at the same time? <laughs> do, 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 do your maths as well, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, make sure you get that. And then to, like you said that end of the, not end of the narrative, but when you do, like you said, find your groove in a way and you're like, yes, this is what I meant to do. And to not be able yeah. to turn around and say, look, look. It's I, all, I yeah, told you. <laughs> I told you. Right. And I think there's no, I used to try and put spin on it. Like you said, like, oh, and people like to, oh, they they know, they know. Actually, they probably don't. And that's okay. Like, it's okay that it's sad that they didn't get to know. And it's okay that partly their deaths led to that process. Yeah. It's because that's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. Yeah. And I think if you try and spin it, 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 then it's not the truth somehow. It's not the truth. And that's a weird little... I don't think I've ever said this out loud. This weird sort of little conflict in my head because I love what I do. Mm. And then sometimes I feel guilty because I think, you're only doing it because your dad died. Wouldn't you rather dad was here? You know, wouldn't that be better than yeah. you, you know, mucking about on telly with some people? You know, I feel almost like, yeah, you love this thing, but you only got it because your dad died. So, yeah. you know, there's this sort of conflict. Going, and I have that conversation with myself, that voice going, are you saying you're happy your dad died? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying, thank God he died because now you've got your dream job? Well, that's a bit selfish, isn't it? And it's like, no, it's just, it's just, life isn't it it's, it's yeah. the butterfly wings it's the yeah. one thing who knows i might have ended up doing it anyway who knows i had a really um interesting chat with robert webb because same thing his mum died when he was 17 and that mm. absolutely drove him to go i am going to cambridge i am going to get to footlights i am going to do comedy and we were saying it's really similar and he said you know i could drive myself crazy being like oh well did if that hadn't would i but he's like but that door doesn't exist Exactly. So, it, it, and I completely understand what you're saying because you know I do a bloody podcast that's successful. If he hadn't have died, <laughs> what would I be <laughs> podcasting so about? And you know, when sometimes people are like, oh, it's oh, you know, well done, so brilliant. You're like, I mean, it is because someone died, died that this yeah, thing happened. To... Oh, it's great you're talking about it. Yeah, but it, would it be great? Wouldn't shouldn't we all wish that I didn't have to talk about it? <laughs> but, so I totally, you know, it's like you said, it's a conflict of. But I've, I've got really, what I've tried to with my grief is hold two things at the same time. So mm. that it's sad that he died and it's sad that I wouldn't, I didn't choose that, I wouldn't want it. But a good thing that's come out of it is this. And that's not, yeah. I'm not happy he, I, I wouldn't press the button and be like, yeah, definitely make him die because this podcast, oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wouldn't, I'd rather he was yeah. here as complicated yeah. as that would be. And I know, I know in my side that if that was presented to me as an yeah. option, obviously I'd want my dad back. And yeah. I know that is the decision I would make. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. But I had a real lesson recently, really, in that sort of having to divide. I think one thing that happens when you're grieving, you have this guilt about anything positive, right? Yeah. Anything positive that you do, you feel guilty about because it's like, I mean, you know, as we're recording this in a week after the Queen's died. Um, I don't know if that time stamps this too much, but no, no, that is we where talk, we are. Yeah, we've got to talk about and, it. And, yeah. you know, and, and everyone's talking about how you're supposed to... Go, and the answer is there's no supposed to. There's no mm. way to mourn and way not to. And I learned such a, an important lesson this year. So this is where I might cry. But the other person I wanted to talk about was yeah. Phil Gerrard. Now, Phil Gerrard, some people listening might know him. He was a stand-up comedian. Absolutely brilliant, but very much on his way up. And he um, was my support act on both of the tours I've done. And he was also Ramesh Ranganathan's support act and um, Sean Walsh and Sean Locke and several other people. And I also used to write with him quite a lot. And we were best mates. He lived in Brighton, same as me, and we were really good mates. And he um, he died last year. He had uh, sarcoma, which is a really rare, mm. aggressive cancer. Uh, he was diagnosed initially in 2019 he had a lump on his kidney, um, uh, sorry, a tumour on his kidney, which he removed, and they removed a kidney. And then uh, just under a year later, it came back in his spine. And then less than a year after that, he died. And he died on my wedding day, which was 4th of September last year. And a lot of his illness, well, his illness completely really happened during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it was a really difficult time. It's always a difficult time to have terminal cancer don't get me wrong yeah yeah but but what it meant it happening during lockdowns was that really most of his friends had no idea what was going on and how serious it was and because people couldn't just see him and also it meant for him and his wife you know for his wife was just they were in their flat in lockdown together dealing with it um, together, you know, they didn't get that respite from each other during that yeah. period. Really, you know, that ch- in normal circumstances, I would have gone, "Hey, do you want to? Do you need to go out and do some shopping, or do you want to go and do that? Whatever." And I'll sit yeah. with Phil if you don't want to leave him, you know, or I'll watch a film with Phil if you want to go out with your mates tonight and just do something else for an evening, you know, those sorts of things. But I was so privileged because his wife didn't drive, and so me and another friend of Phil's, also called Phil, just to complicate it, um, we. Um, sort of bubbled up with them so that we took it in turns to take him to all his appointments, all his treatment and stuff. So I was sort of driving him up to the Royal Marsden in London for scans and things and uh, for, he had to go to, for transfusions or tests and whatever, you know what it's like when yeah. with cancer, there's a million appointments to have. And that meant that during a pandemic, I got to spend time with him that other people didn't, mm. you know, and I am so privileged and grateful for that. Because, you know, I know there's a lot of his friends who would have loved to have had that time that I got 
talking to him and, and being with him during that time. Um, and then when um, it sort of became clear that he wasn't going to get better, um, you know, you felt able to... I, I was already we already knew what was going on and so you know were able to visit him and and hang out with him and you know um spend time with him before and then it was he was so determined so I'd asked him before he got sick again I'd asked him to be a witness at my wedding and he was utterly determined he was going to do that um and even you know as he got sicker that was a real sort of... He found what he needed in his illness was to have things to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. So things to... that You know, and so we'd got the wedding in September and we'd booked to go um, Christmas in... We'd booked a little Airbnb down at Canberra Sand. So they were the two sort of flags in the sand for him. If I could just get to that wedding and I can get to that Christmas, you know, th- that was his... He just wanted these little markers. And um, unfortunately, sort of just before the wedding in the, I remember my friend Michael you probably know Michael Fabry another comedian he went to see Phil a couple of weeks before the wedding and at this point Phil still absolutely determined he was coming and and uh he sort of Phil had quite a dark sense of humor you know and he was saying to Michael because by that point he was quite frail um and you know if he wanted to go anywhere I had to use a wheelchair really so he was saying you know the only thing I'm really nervous about at the wedding is that because there'll be a lot of people there I haven't seen mm. since I've been poorly. And I, you know, I'm going to be in a wheelchair and I don't want them to be patronising me. You know, you all right? Do you want a drink? Mm. You, you know, and they were sort of having a laugh about it. And Michael said so they were having a laugh in that sort of dark way he was about doing impressions of himself in the wheelchair, you know. And Michael said, look, Angela and Matt will be absolutely fine if you don't want to go. They will, don't feel like you have to do it for them. Yeah. They will understand if you'd rather not go. And Michael said he just went, oh no, I'm going. Like I'm, gonna be at that wedding mm. and um but then the sort of the week before the wedding he got more sick and and it was sort of two days before the wedding we had to do because we had a humanist wedding so we had to do the registry office bit separately the legal bit sort of two days before we did it very low key just a couple of friends just signed the thing no rings or anything it was just a very low key thing and so we said well what we'll do we'll do that and then we'll pop around and see phil afterwards so he can know that we're married yeah and the day before that um his wife beck sort of said he's he's you know he's not getting better he's getting worse and so we went we did the registry office thing about i don't know about 11 in the morning something like that and then we went for lunch with the it was michael fabry actually was one of them and other friends and we were having lunch and i just got a text from beck that said i think you should come sooner rather than later oh god so we went up there and we um, we we sort of spent some time with him all together. And then Beck said, you know, do you want to spend some time with him on your own? And by that point, he wasn't, he was able to respond to what you were saying, but wasn't really mm. able to communicate much. Um, but I'm so grateful for that day because I sat with him for sort of an hour, you know, and, and just, again, said anything I wanted to say to him about, you know, that you're my mate, I love you. And, you know, I'll be there for Beck and I'll do whatever I can for her and you know I don't want you to be worrying about her we'll make sure she's all right and all that stuff and um and then we sort of came away and I uh the next day he said he sort of rallied a little bit I think that happens sometimes you know the next day he was a bit better and so we really thought okay well we were supposed to be going on honeymoon we were like we won't go we'll just be around for bed when we get back so the wedding day was a Saturday the next day and um it looked like he was going to be you know 
oh, I thought we'll go around after the wedding. We were even saying, actually, if we've got on the wedding day, once we've done the ceremony, we might pop round there in our finery, yeah. you know, just go and say hello and then go back to the wedding. You know, we were toying with doing that maybe. And then on the morning of the wedding, I woke up, uh, like my alarm went off at like six in the morning or something, and I'd had a text from Beck that just said he's gone. That had come through at 20 past five. Oh, God. But do you know what? And this is the lesson I had about grief, really. And because my, obviously my first thought was, we have to cancel the wedding. Yeah. I can't get married today. I can't, I can't go and do a wedding on a day when one of my best friends has just died, mm. you know. And then my mum was just sort of, okay, calm down, just think about, because I think my mum was like going, everything's in my, you know, it's like wedding yeah, morning. You're yeah. on a roller coaster, you can't get off. The caterers are on their oh, way, the God. whatever, you know. And, and, um, I was just like, you know, obviously I can't, we, we need to, so I, and I, I phoned my husband and was just like, I, I don't, and he was, you know, he was at the, because um, we got married in a field basically and he was camping the night before the wedding in the field to make sure nothing got nicked. So he was in a field with his best man, you know, and I was just like, what do we do, what do we do? And in the meantime, another message came through from Beck and it was like, you have to go and smash this wedding. Like Phil would be really upset if you didn't. And I was like, do you know what? He would. He would be mm. so angry if we didn't, if the wedding didn't happen because of him. Because yeah. he was really looking forward to it. It was one of his flags in the sand, that wedding, you know. And if it didn't happen because of it. And he knew, because he'd been so, when I was planning the wedding, it was during the time when I was taking him to the hospital and stuff. And because he was married, he gave us loads of great advice and was really part of the whole planning yeah. of it, you know. And if it didn't happen, it wouldn't have been right. And so I was like, okay. And so I had my bridesmaids and my mum were in the flat and they just took charge. They were amazing because I was just a blubbering mess. Of course, you know? how can you? And, yeah. um, but the sort of makeup lady arrived who you might even know her, Susie Narden. She oh, does a yeah, lot. She does yeah. like Mock the Week makeup and stuff. So I got her in because I know her. And she's like, don't worry, we'll cover all this. <laughs> You're going to look fine. Because <laughs> I was just this blubbering Red mess. eyes, bags. You yeah, know, yeah. oh my God. But do you know what? It was so incredible because... It's it somehow this and it sounds weird, but I'll try and explain what I mean. Somehow it was right because mm. it made him part of the day. I forget that him and Beck weren't there because they were so part of the day because there were lots of people at the wedding who knew Phil and loved him. Like Ron was there. Lots of the local Brighton comedians that, you know, were mutual friends were there. And actually, had he happened, had he died, say, the following Monday or something, we wouldn't have known what to do with ourselves because yeah. his wife had her family take care of her and we would, what would we have done? Gone down the pub and been sad? Like, I don't know what we would have done yeah. you would have felt helpless. Whereas we had this thing to celebrate mm. on the same day and I can really separate and it sounds weird to say it considering what I've just told you but my wedding day was the happiest day of my life. Yeah. It was. And I can separate those two things happening because we, you know, Phil was mentioned in all the speeches, he was part of the day, everyone was talking about him because of course, there was a lot of people didn't even find out till they got to the wedding. Oof. You know, a lot of people, that's when they, how they found out. Yeah. But he was so part of the day and it was still such a joyful day. And I think it made everyone go, A, it made everyone go, right, let's just have a good time. Good time, yeah. Uh, and make sure, because I think a lot of people felt really sorry for me and Matt. I think a lot of people were like, Oh, imagine that happening on your wedding day. Yeah. Let's make sure that doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything, We're going to make sure this is an sure upbeat party, is, okay? Exactly. Party, and that they're party. not dwelling on that. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think it just, and again, here comes the corny alarm, but it just made the day so meaningful because mm. you go oh this is what we're signing up for we're signing up for that could happen to us but we're signing up for it 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, I do. and it was just yeah. this pure, all that shit you worry about with weddings, like, oh, is so and so going to be on time? Is the cake going to turn? Is it? None of it mattered. Yeah. None of it mattered at all. Like, I would not have cared that day if no food turned up and we had to order pizza. I wouldn't have cared less because all that mattered is that I was marrying the person I love and that we were making this commitment and that we had this blueprint from Phil and his wife who were such an awesome couple. Mm. And, and, and Beck even said to me, that day we went round there after we'd done the registry office bit, she gave us our wedding present, which was a beautiful picture that Phil had chosen for us, which is, I'm looking at it now, it's on the wall. She said to us, it feels like we're handing a baton to you guys. Oh. A, which I think is one of the most generous things anyone's ever said to me in their life, you know. It's like, we're, we love you, you know, we're going through this, but we're passing something from our marriage, wow. our, what we've learned to you guys, you know, to run with. And so it was so just pure love on mm. that day, which I'm sure people feel on their wedding day anyway, but I felt like Phil gave us something that day that we might not have had. And it no. was part of the wedding and it just somehow made sense for it to be that day, not the next day yeah. or the day after. I can, I can really understand it. And I think it comes back to what we're saying of like two things can be true at the same time. It can be the happiest Absolutely. day of your life and you can be really sad that your wonderful best friend died. Yeah. And I can feel, also, it's almost like you had a wake at a wedding. It, it was, <laughs> So then it was. you said like all those people wouldn't have been together. They all would have got text messages alone in their house and it would have been like, oh, oh God. But instead you, they were with their com- comedy community, which is really such a community. Really is. And all able to talk about him with a drink in their hand while celebrating someone he loved. Like, I, again, it's like, if someone gave you a button and said, would you like this to happen on the day? Of course you wouldn't go like, yes, yes, please. On the same day, yeah, 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 no, I want it exactly the same. Of course you wouldn't choose it. But the weirdness of life is sometimes it gives you something and you go, actually, there is a positive to this. There, there's plenty yeah. of negatives as well. I'm not saying I wanted that to happen. I, you would have rather he'd made it and he'd got there. But absolutely, there is never nothing is ever. I'm obsessed with like things aren't binary. Things aren't either all good or all bad. When someone dies, weird good stuff comes out of it, and and bad stuff is there as well. Like that yeah. is what life is, and I really think you've you've explained that so well. Of like, yeah, weird choice. <laughs> yeah, but, but this is the this also, is the joy that came out of that moment. And I think that's where you know we sometimes get it wrong nobody gets it wrong you're grieving your own ways yeah. but where sometimes you know you can feel really guilty if you laugh when yeah. you're supposed to be grieving or if you you know you're like oh my god I, I found something funny or I had a good day but my dad died last week how can I have a good day and and I spoke to Beck about this his wife and I think she and Phil had talked about this because Phil was like I don't want you to not have a good time because yeah. I'm gone and she said what you can do is separate those things and you can be grieving and go through the horrible, most horrible time, but if some friends invite you out to the pub, go to the pub and have a laugh. Those other things aren't going to go... Because if, if you said so good things can happen at really bad times, yeah. and if you don't enjoy them in the moment, then all you've got is the bad stuff. Yeah. Well, that's no good to anyone. Yeah, and I, right? I say at the time, like, grief is going to be there, whatever. So, exactly. like, if you avoid all the good stuff, it's just you and grief. Whereas that's actually, it, all you've got. grief is going to wait. So if you're like, oh, go on yeah. holiday, go and see my friends, have a drink, have a laugh, great. Because when you come home... 
you know what? The grief will be like, hi. <laughs> hi, I'm still here. I'm still but, here. But at least you had that. Yeah. And then at you, least you had a laugh. You've got you the resilience it. then. Because then you're like, oh, I have had a break. I have had a moment where I wasn't crying. And I remembered life goes on. And my friends mm. reminded me how cared I was for. And yeah, you need you need both things. It, it can't be all crying. And it can't be all... Ha- I mean, equally, you don't, you know, go out and never cry. Because that also... Yeah. It's like, also not healthy. But yeah. yeah it's the extremes, think, isn't it? You know, they, I know it's again you know it's a what's the word platitude but life goes on and what you have to do is you don't stop making memories just because your memories with that person yeah uh you know because i think it's very easy to go well now this person i love has gone so nothing's going to be good anymore nothing's going to be and and the new memories don't count as much as the old ones because they're not as pure they're not as but you've got to you know one day in 30 years you'll look back 10 years and you'll go oh, that amazing thing happened. And yes, it happened 20 years after I was bereaved, but it's still my life. It's yeah. still my, do you know what I mean? And, and so you have to continue making memories. And for some people that takes longer than others. And But sometimes you can do that in the... I remember thinking, I, I know my dad. My dad would be really pissed off if I'd sat, you know, yeah. walking around in black and not... Like, it just... He would have been like, I'm in the ground. Get on with it, woman. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that was his attitude. Done. <laughs> um, yeah, done. In fact, I mean, we, his funeral was so great, my dad. We, we got, because uh, my dad loved motorbikes. So his hearse was a sidecar on a motorbike. Wow. And there was this incredible, and I know my, because my dad would have been gone, what are you spending all that money for? Like, his thing was always, just put me in a bag, bury me in the garden. Like, don't spend any money. But when I went to the, um, we went to the funeral directors, we saw they had this motorbike. It's like, well, it's got to be that, yeah, you know. Yeah. And there was this joyful moment when we got to the crematorium, this is my dad, and we were in a car behind. And my dad was like, so they, they the funeral directors came, like, put him on the sidecar. And the, rider on the motorbike was just in black leathers black helmet you know and we got to the crematorium and as we came in and it was packed the crematorium it's funny it was my dad's sister because when we drove in they all just started clapping and cheering (laughs) and my dad's sister said it was a really funny moment he said that like when we were all standing there and as you came in we all went, well, it's Derek. We can't just stand it. Like, we've just got to make a noise. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we can't just stand it. So they all just start, woo, woo, clapping and cheering. And then there was this lovely moment where the, the rider got off the bike, took the helmet off, and it was just this beautiful blonde woman. <laughs> she, like, just shook out all this blonde hair. Like, we just thought it was some bloke on the... And we were like, of course it of was. Course, of course. Of course it was a beautiful blonde in black leathers, my dad's ideal woman, taking him on his last journey. Of course it bloody was, you know, and it was this lovely, lovely moment. And then there was another quite... Fun- I won't go into the whole background of this because it's a long old story, but I'll just tell you that my I have a half brother that um, sort of, let's just say, reappeared later in my life. Right, okay. And uh, so my dad knew he had a son, but it, they were estranged for a long time, but he came back. But a lot of people didn't know about this. Because oh. um, it, it was only just before my dad died, really, that he came back in. And I do think that's part of how my dad had to wait for these lens to be tied up and yeah, then he could go. Yeah. I do think there was an element of that. Um, but anyway, this guy who's um, he's sort of younger than me, but looked like my dad, like looked like a young yeah. version of my dad. And this poor boy had only, and I say boy, he was like 20, I think at the time, if that. And um, he'd only just found out my dad was his dad and yeah. they'd just sort of got this relationship together and, uh, you know, and then to lose him so quickly mm. was so hard. And, and it, it really, like I say, just really looked like him. And so I said to him, would you like to carry dad? You know, be one of the 
He was like, oh, yeah, I'd really love to. to. So he was one of the pallbearers. But, of course, this hadn't occurred to me. That is he's carrying my dad in? There's loads of people that are going, Derek's carrying himself into the crematorium. And, of course, those of us that knew just got the giggles. It was just such a... It was like... Oh yeah, I can see how this looks now. <laughs> oh my god! Like you bought a lookalike. We thought yeah. it'd be funny. Yeah. It'd be funny. Got, you know, yeah, we found someone just looked like just like Derek. Because I, I yeah. know what you mean. Because I've had that with the various funerals we've been to. Sometimes you go in, you see someone, you're like, oh my god, that is them. Because the weirdness yeah. that happens with families that sometimes carbon copies appear, and you're like, yeah. what? How is that not my relative? Okay, yeah. fine. And especially if you haven't seen people for a long time. Yeah, and it could be like a distant cousin. Yeah, or something. It's yeah. Just some genetic thing has happened really go, oh weird. my god it's there or you saw them as yeah. a child but you haven't seen them as an adult and then you're like oh as an adult you look like the adult person <laughs> like, <laughs> that makes sense but my god everyone must have been terrified it oh. was so funny oh it was god. really because you could just see some faces like go uh yeah, who's that <laughs> does anyone know who that is <laughs> of course we had some explaining to do later but, he's looking well uh, isn't he he's <laughs> looking he? very yeah. well oh. it's just, and also i think some people probably thought i wouldn't put it past derek to have organized this somehow <laughs> this is some trick we've all just been gotcha'd I don't know oh Angela thank you so much for talking to me about your dad Derek and Phil I could talk to you I could keep going but yeah oh um, thanks carry on it's been really nice sort of I'm sure this has been said to you before but this is therapy right (laughs) (laughs) Angela thank you so much it was so so nice thank you you for having me I'm so glad that we finally managed to make it work because I've been it's so lovely to chat with you You can follow Angela on Twitter at Angela Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, and head to her website, angelabarnescomedy.co.uk, for more information on when she's gigging and touring. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was recorded remotely. It was edited by Kate Holland. Music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. Artwork was provided by Jade Perkin. The book is available to pre-order. It's called You Are Not Alone. You can pre-order it from all good bookstores now. And remember, as the book says, you are not alone. Thank you for listening. For ten years. Six years, ten seasons, you know what I mean. Thanks, bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.